Continuing completed classics. Fulfilling failed franchises. Reinvigorating reviled rehashes. It's... The Follow-Up Showdown. Do it over October. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we still give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Karen's Baby, also known as Paul Getz, and I am thrilled to announce that I am joined today by my two co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. Guys, what are your mother's names? Judy. Dimitri is my mom's name. So we've got Judy's baby and Demetria's baby. Mm. That's like, a good horror movie name. Oh yeah, Demetria's my baby. Rife with good horror movie. <laughs> uh, well, I'm thrilled to have the whole gang here, and what better film to celebrate the occasion than 1976's "Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby," oh. the TV movie sequel to the 1968 horror classic "Rosemary's Baby." Uh, I believe this is the first TV movie we've done on the show. Um, yeah. We've done straight to video, but this is a, a new TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, I, 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 you know what? I will say I enjoyed it probably more than, like, Dumb and Dumber 2. I can think of yeah. few movies I've enjoyed less. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what an interesting thing... TV movie is as a concept because I would say that even today in the world of Netflix, where Netflix is putting out movies of its own and being nominated for winning Oscars, the TV movie by definition is still a bad thing. I mean, not bad, but just worse. You understand if you're watching a TV movie, you're watching a worse quality movie. Actually, if I can um, defend the TV movie for a second, I think it, they look bad in retrospect because we have much better things to watch. Uh, but I think the TV movie was meant to exist somewhere between a regular TV show and you're going to go out to see, you know, Kramer versus Kramer or whatever big movie you're going to go see. Uh, and I think only with like retrospective goggles, we go, why would you waste your time with this? Well, I would say that stuff is still around. I mean, almost like a lifetime is like almost a whole channel of that Ooh. sort of like, well, I'm, I'm saying that yeah. people do have an appreciation for sort of just having entertainment, whatever quality. I mean, I've enjoyed some um, <laughs> Disney Channel original movies, you know, and, and I, the miniseries of the 90s, like the 10th Kingdom and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I get you know, there are exceptions to the rule, I guess, like with that shiny. But this movie was not one of them. Yeah. Now, before we start getting into the subjects at hand, I am stoked to say it is time for two Travis McMaster minutes. Two Travis McMaster minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you ready? Oh, you have it written down this time. I wrote them down. I want to try one if I write them down. I suspect okay. it will be more accurate but less entertaining. <laughs> well, you've tried this before um, with Shh. mixed results. Okay. Um, okay. Um, all right. Tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Go. 
All right. <clears throat> Rosemary and Guy move into a new building, and their neighbors, <clears throat> oh no, are a coven of witches grooming Roe to be the vessel for Satan's seed in exchange for Guy's acting career. Um, that's a very straightforward descriptor. The movie presented as like a layered mystery, but that, that's the that's the plot of that one in a nutshell. Um, and, and then she ultimately, once you know, it, it succeeds. They they impregnate her. She gives birth to Satan's son. She's the only one who knows about it. Who could maybe try to do something about that? But she's it's her it's her child, so she doesn't. She rock the movie ends with her rocking him to sleep. <clears throat> uh, very bleak. Part two. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's a number of years later. Um, the, the, the baby Adrian is now a child and kind of evilly and omeny, you know, and, uh, the coven chases Rosemary and Adrian cause she flees with him, I guess. Um, and then they like put her on a bus, which might've been a metaphor for something. I don't know. She was kind of trapped in a hell bus whenever we saw her later <laughs> at Patty Duke. Uh, uh, and then we just we're just kind of with Adrian as a grown up in the seventies, where he's just kind of like bummed out, and a lot of seventies tropes happen to him. Uh, and then he just gets rediscovered by the coven, and you know the the game continues, whatever pointless game it is. We just push the pieces around um, on the board for a little bit. Hmm. Okay, <clears throat> and that's. You're done? Uh, well, the guy who plays uh, Adrian grown up played Hollis Mason in the Watchmen movie. I, and he did a really... Yeah. He did, you know, the acting's all fine in the movies. It's just <clears throat> the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I Okay. Last As fun. always, I got a couple notes. Yeah. Um, I don't know that it's important to say that the first one is from the perspective of Rosemary, because it definitely is. I feel like that's yeah. a key. That's, that's um, good. But the second one, I would just add that weird sort of third act thing that he meets a girl who I guess is also in the coven or at least a Satan worshiper. Mm. Uh, she drugs him and gets him to impregnate her. Yeah. Then Guy tries to kill him, accidentally tries to kill her, but she survives mm. and is going to potentially give birth to another antichrist but adrian also survives adrian yeah he just gets a, no he just runs off and no he a, just runs away yeah yeah off the, yeah. along that chain link fence also it seems like that child's <clears throat> gonna be like how powerful is that kid gonna be it's only gonna be like a right. devil you know <laughs> right it's a, no it's a very good point it's a very important <laughs> distinction because she is firsthand raped by satan Right. So it's Satan's son versus yeah. this new baby who is Satan's son's son? Yeah. Yeah. Satan's grandchild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great, great band name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I guess we are, you know, it's just too tempting to dive right in uh, to this mess that I, was. I will yeah. say that this was the least I've enjoyed watching both movies in, in for this. But I will say this has also generated the most lively pitch conversation between Lauren and I. Of that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think we just needed the 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 barren land um, of the people to grow for. Now, I for one enjoyed Rosemary's Baby, the first one. I mean, it's not a fun movie. It's upsetting. It's mm -hmm. disturbing. It's yeah. Uh, 
and the horror in it is so seems so real and almost tangible because like <clears throat> yes there's satanic stuff going on but the bigger issue is more someone being like gaslit essentially yeah. and they're especially considering like how much worse that would have been in 1968 versus now like it seems yeah. almost ludicrous maybe to some that a group of people could just point to someone and say no she's crazy uh, yeah. But in 1968, that was pretty common. Yeah, I right. Assume. Exactly. Very upsetting. Uh, sort of honest. Uh, you know, look at uh, a lot of the issues of the time uh, that are unfortunately still around. Yeah, uh, and not that um, much. Different. Speaking of things that were unfortunate at the time that are still around, do we want to do we want to address the Roman Polanski in the room? Real well, quick? yeah, it's just about to get into writer director notes. Um, I don't, you know. In terms of the ones that affect uh, the movie, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time talking about him. Uh, no, uh, I think whatever's been said has been said. I guess I just wanted to go like on record with like "fuck Roman Polanski." Yeah. Sure, I sure. Wanted to talk about the movie, uh, yeah, but also absolutely. I'm firmly in that that camp. Uh, that's all. Well, there, there's a lot of treacherous ground here because it, it's Roman Polanski and Mia Farrow, yeah. and they're both sort of uh, attached to so. <clears throat> Like old Hollywood uh, horror, you oh, know. Me and Pharaoh too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, she married Woody Allen, and right. you know that boy. Okay, and <laughs> right, exactly. Right. So I, guess I just wanted to say, like, I'm not ignoring that stuff, but yeah. I'm I'm not. Uh, oh God, I, I don't think I'm smart enough to comment on it. <laughs> so I just wanted to say I'm aware of it. I'm uh, in favor of the correct uh, folk. And not the incorrect predatory folk. Yeah. Uh, but yes. I'm just mostly going to be trying to focus on the the pitches and yeah. talk about the movie as a movie. And... Well, like separating artists from the art thing. Well, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Lauren said that. Well, get, her, get her. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying you can. That's just that whole you know moral dilemma, <clears throat> the age old question. Right. For sure, and it's and it's tough because I mean I almost didn't want to say that I liked Rosemary Baby, but I did. It's really well made. It's well yeah. shot. It's well. Uh, you know, the, the tensions there, it's well acted and it, it's very meticulously made. Also it's yeah. made with artistry and uh, with a mastering of artistry. I'm trying to talk around it and not yeah. compliment the man, but a yes. lot of, a lot of talented people worked on the movie and it came together and the movie looks, uh, the movie is really cool. It takes really. a lot of yes. people. To but having said that, I I was so bummed the whole time watching it, just knowing, kind of knowing that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it. I, and I had, I hadn't thought about it until I saw his name at the end of those opening credits. But I mean, I also want to do uh, the two Jakes to Chinatown, so it's going to come up again. Yeah. You know, it's uh, unfortunately a lot of uh, his best movies had weird, bad sequels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's another unfortunate thing is the uh sequel didn't make me feel any better uh, ugh, bummer i i did manage to work um some planet of the apes stuff into this though so whenever we get back on topic i can okay. run with that <clears throat> well we're, planet of the apes is going to come back in an unexpected way perhaps a little bit later so look forward to that okay. um staying on rosemary's baby for just a, a couple more things uh, yeah. a couple things worth mentioning the sort of origin of how it happened. Uh, Ira Levine, who wrote the book, 
before it was even published, somehow the manuscript got to William Castle, uh, the B-horror movie director of old. Uh, he most famous for House on Haunted Hill. He brought this project to Robert Evans on the condition that Castle himself would not direct. So Castle was brought on a producer and he has a cameo as the man waiting outside the phone booth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good little cameo uh, for a cool yeah. reason. Evans brought in Roman Polanski. This ended up being his first American film. Now, moving straight past that, <laughs> on into the actors, uh, the first actors, uh, the first actors approach to play Rosemary, Tuesday Weld, who m fit more of the mold of what was expected of the Rosemary character, more of like a, a full-figured girl-next-door type that they were looking for to begin with. They she passed. They moved on to Jane Fonda, who passed. Roman Polanski wanted to put Sharon Tate in the role, but Evans yeah. encouraged him to cast Mia Farrow because she uh, had some television success with Peyton Place and was also married to Frank Sinatra at the time. So they thought that she would be a big draw uh, for the movie. For the role of Guy, Robert Redford was everyone's number one choice. He passed. Jack Nicholson was brought in and he was ultimately passed on because his signature sinister look was not what they wanted for Guy. <laughs> They're just going to give it away Too right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He, yeah, yeah, it's no, it's almost like, I mean, it's it's purposeful in the beginning of the Shining, Shining, but from the beginning of the Shining, it's like you look Jack Nicholson's face. It's like, oh boy, oh, yeah, <laughs> there's going to be trouble. <laughs> yeah, the original running time for this movie was four hours. No. Uh, yeah, uh, which seems crazy because it's not a fast movie. Right. <laughs> at two hours and 15 minutes. I'm guessing... Now, I, I've, I've read that Mia Farrow has sort of referred negatively to the character of Rosemary as being a victim since this movie. I don't necessarily see it that way because, to me, her character <laughs> picks up on everything pretty quick. I mean, she is a victim uh, of so many people in her life and, and in the right, like literally universe, but... Right, but she is not, she doesn't seem helpless to me because she's so, uh, I, I find her to be very astute. She, she, uh, she knows how to navigate things with her husband, uh, who's, you know, from the beginning, not a great guy. But I just feel like she's very careful and she's very meticulous. And even though, you know, she runs into a horrible situation with some really bad people, she does everything and anything anybody could to fight it. You know, and it's not, I don't know, I, I, I wouldn't put much blame on her in terms of anything that happens. I mean, she makes some bad decisions, but, I mean, she is being constantly gaslighted the whole time. Like, her, you know, she thinks she tr she can trust her husband, even though she kind of doesn't trust him. The only scene... She a lot of other choices, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, the only scene that stood out to me is something where I was like, well, why would you do that? Was when she went to Dr. Saperstein's office after putting together everything that had happened with the witch ritual with Guy and the neighbors. I just feel like you would continue to categorize Dr. Saperstein in with them and you wouldn't go to that office. That scene doesn't lead to much, so it's not a big deal. But I'm guessing maybe the four hour cut had more stuff like that. 
What confused me was that, like, she's like, oh, I haven't been drinking the thing for, like, three days, and I feel better. And that after she started feeling better, after not drinking it, she would immediately go back to drinking. Yeah, I felt that was an odd moment to me because it was, like, while they were fighting, in the midst of fighting, I don't even remember, like, she said something that I thought maybe I was supposed to read into about the pain and the baby hating her. Uh-huh. And then the and then the baby stops hurting her forever. So it's almost like the happiness of knowing that the baby is going to be okay changed her perspective on everything. And she just sort of forgot about the weirdness. But I don't understand. What I don't understand is why that happened. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I read it is that the absence of her quote unquote health shake. But I suppose if she didn't, wouldn't necessarily have to draw that connection. You know, this is the yeah. viewer. That, but mm. yeah, but then, but then it was she went back to the health shakes and never no pain had pain again. That's so, true. Hmm. Um, might be something yes. in the book. Yeah, you know when they make movies out of books, and every now and then some detail gets left in, and it doesn't make any sense unless you read the book. This well, might suppose, be one of those supposedly, but, and again, at some point it was four hours long. But supposedly yeah. this is one of the truest adaptations to a book ever. And they there are examples of it being true, a true adaptation almost to a bizarre point. Like details are left the same that don't need to be. And the uh produ- Gareth uh sorry, Robert Evans' theory for why that was was because it was Roman Polanski's first adaptation and American film and maybe he didn't realize he had the freedom to make any new choices at all. But yeah, I mean I don't know what, what information we lost out on, but for the most part, I felt like it worked. A couple other fun, well, not one not fun, and then a couple right. other fun, a couple <laughs> of fun things from the set. I'll start with the not fun thing. When Mia Farrow accepted this role, Frank Sinatra demanded uh, that she quit Everybody because he had asked her to forego her career after they wed. She was going to leave the film until Robert Evans showed her some dailies from the production and said, this will win you an Oscar. And she stayed on. And then apparently Frank Sinatra came to set to serve her divorce papers a few days later, but she stuck with it. She did not receive an an Oscar nomination. She did receive, she won some international acting awards. She was nominated for Golden Globe and a BAFTA, but not an Oscar. This is considered one of the Oscar snubs of all time. And I'm wondering... Because only because you know only because I know vague things about Frank Sinatra being connected. I believe it. I'm wondering if somehow he shut that down as like a final. I'm an asshole. Yeah. Mm. Last thing that I just think is so cool, and it was something that I noticed by accident myself uh, when Rosemary calls Donald Baumgart, the actor who was blinded, so that guy could take mm. his part. Did you know who that was by voice? I did. It was like, yeah. I was halfway through the scene, and I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. I did. Okay. So that is, you know, famous actor Tony Curtis, uh, just doing that audio cameo. And uh, the only reason I knew, I knew he sounded familiar, but I paused it in that moment for some unrelated reason, and his little headshot popped up at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, which also made me believe. Yeah. And it also made me believe that he might show up later. You know, because it's Tony Curtis. Apparently, the reason he was cast in that role was because Robert Evans, the producer, wanted for Mia Farrow to 
recognize the voice but have trouble placing it for her performance in that scene. Like he specifically wanted to watch her puzzling while she huh. spoke to that. So apparently that like that was that audio was not put in later. That was the real audio of the call. Oh, well, that's very that's neat. neat. Um, I she like noticed, recognized him right away. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, cut. Uh, Tony Curtis, I'm such a huge fan. Uh, that was a terrible Mia Farrow impression, but I haven't really. Oh, I thought that was Dick Clark. <laughs> New Year's Rockin' Eve. Um, okay. Also, not. I mean, I wasn't trying there either. So we can move on. Um, <laughs> For the record. So that's a pretty uh, beloved movie, horror and whatnot. You know, it, it's a seminal classic. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, if anybody's uh, interested. Um, if, if anyone else is interested, I have some alternate movies you can watch if you don't want to watch this one, but you want to kind of like get that flavor. Yeah, I want it. It definitely seems like this was the first in a in a in a genre of horror that I've definitely and it was interesting to see it having not seen it before and not really knowing fully what it was going to be to sort of see so many other movies I've seen since in it. Um, yeah. But I also found this one to still be interesting because it was, uh, it was unique still, even though these tropes have been explored over and over again since. I found that, uh, like I said, the realism of it, the perspective, and, uh, and once again, the sort of not falling into easy horror tropes of not understanding people's decision-making. Um, I don't know. I, I found it to still be complex and and not in any way boring even though yeah, it's slow well uh, yeah it's definitely I, I think a lot of people would probably watch it and think it was super super boring yeah uh, I, <laughs> I can see that I know, I know what you mean though i know what you mean well the omen is a little it's similar in like you know like the the woman seeing something and perhaps not being like not being believed but she's like no and there's a lot of movies that sort of jump off from that genre that sort of leave the demon aspect behind, but they are about like a troubled child or something. Oh, like hereditary. That. Oh, hereditary. Oh, hereditary. A huge influence on this. In fact, I thought of this as almost like a uh, prelude to hereditary, or like you know, totally could have been sure. in the same universe. The the ritual stuff was all very similar. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, even like the Good Son or uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. Those are more of the female mm -hmm. perspective, sort of like part of the movie, less the ritualistic yeah. uh, sacrifice part. Um, no. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no I please. Had to, well, I was going to do. That was a big my Planet of the Apes. Okay, go ahead. And then I'm going to hit you with, your, with the other Planet of the Apes things right afterwards. I'm really curious about what yours is because I only know of one. Okay. Well, maybe and you know it. Like, oh, oh, is it Maurice Evans? No. Oh, you hush. No. Hutch, yes. Whew. Love Hutch. Yeah, he was Love great. Hutch. I, yeah. So I didn't know Maurice Evans was going to be in this. And the way that Maurice Evans says, well, they didn't do a very good job of rehabilitating her. They did not rehabilitate. The way he said rehabilitate uh, snapped my eyes up. And I said, that's Dr. Zayas. I think that's Maurice Evans. Um, and sure enough, those were his squinty little eyes. I loved the way he spoke. In general, Hutch ugh, couldn't have loved Hutch anymore. You'll yeah. find that out when we talk prequels. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> all about the Hutch. Starting to move in to look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby, our sequel. And let's and let's stop and talk about that title in just one second. 
the Planet of the Apes thing I wanted to mention is the writer of the movie, Anthony Wilson, only wrote one other movie called Newman's Law. Doesn't sound great. And, but all of his other writing credits are television. He wrote a Twilight Zone, wrote some Bewitched, and he wrote for the Planet of the Apes television series. Yikes. Um, <laughs> yes. Which, I don't have you seen any of that, being such an ape head? I, in fact, have seen um, some of that. Uh, <laughs> I, I have it on DVD. I have not, I've tried many times to, to get through it. I failed Roddy McDowell and Mark Leonard so, so much I haven't. The director of Look Who's, or Look What's dot dot dot, is Sam O'Steen. Rosemary now. <laughs> who was the editor of Rosemary's Baby. So Sam Osteen, who edited the first film, and an extraordinary editor, edited Cool Hand Luke, The Graduate, Chinatown, a lot of other hits. He stepped up to do the directing on this one because I guess he felt like he had the know-how, having cut uh, the first one from four hours to 2.15. I but apparently maybe they're different skill sets, you know? <laughs> maybe. I don't know what he had to work with at the time. I don't know what his credits were. Look, I'm not prepared to throw anyone under the bus for look what's Rosemarying now. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, let's talk about the title. That title, Barely polite. look what's happened to Rosemary's baby. I, oof, I, is, it a, is it a reference? Is, are we playing on what happened to baby Jane? Whatever happened to baby Jane? Maybe. Or? Maybe that was part of it. it it's, is, this, is this a phrase from the book or something? Well, and for that to be the title, ultimately not that much happens to him. He has a little bit of difficulty not getting in trouble, I guess, is like the worst that he... Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, literally what he does in this movie is just like what... It's like what Billy Jack did. It's just like every picture we've ever seen of our dads from that era look like they were just doing what he was doing in this movie. Every song I've heard from 1976 is just about a guy doing what he does in this movie. Well, the full title is actually Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby, colon, Not Much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they just cut it off on all the posters. Too, too, too many words. <laughs> too, long, too, too long. Whichever two. Just lose them. Um, I mean, sort of like you were saying earlier, or like we were saying earlier, you don't really know what happens to him in the end. He just kind of runs off. You don't even really get to find out what happens to Rosemary. I guess she got driven to hell on a ghost bus. It looked like she got <laughs> driven to the Black Lodge or to Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Was she not in the rest of the movie? No, she never. I thought that was big no, her. you get Patty Duke for as long as you get Patty Duke. For. You don't oh, get her man. for the whole movie. Oh, fun, funnish fact: Patty Duke auditioned for Rosemary in the first one. Huh. Was thrilled, I guess, to to get it the second time around. Other Patty Duke fun fact: she was in Valley of the Dolls mm -hmm. and is amazing in it. She was not amazing in this. She was wretched. Uh, no one was. See, I Respect. I would argue that. Stephen McCaddy, uh, who played Andrew Adrian, I thought he was great. I, I, you know, I don't, I have no problem with the performance he gave. I have, I don't, I have a problem with the material. 
But I thought he yeah. I thought he was charismatic enough that I would have liked to have seen him go full antichrist and like really mix it up. You know, I I think he could have handled it. He's he's a great actor. Um, have you ever seen um, Pontypool? It's a really no. sort of cool indie horror movie, a little bit more modern. That's about people being turned into zombies by radio waves, and he is a disc jockey, sort of like at the end of the world. It's really cool. That's yeah. Amazing. That does sound cool. Yeah. Have you ever seen um, the episode of Deep Space Nine, Pale Moonlight? No, 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 sorry, oh, that's he? not funny, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I brought it up that way because obviously that's, that's a very me-specific thing to bring up. It's a really great episode, though, and he is, of course, amazing in it. He plays a Vorta. Ah. Oh, I could see, I could see that. I could see him having scales on his head or something. Um, yeah. Um, I want to correct you, but it's not worth it. Wait. It's just ears. Oh, ear stuff. It's weird ears. <laughs> it's, it's close enough. It's not really worth it. Now, people who did return for this sequel, only one. Ruth Wilson as Minnie. She came back. Lover. Yeah. So fear. I was happy to see her. I really enjoy. I, you know, I, not in a way where I thought it was good, but one thing I did enjoy about her presence in this movie is how many times it made the Satanists business just seem like two old people going to the store. Where it's yes. like, <laughs> found him. you got the wrong spell. Ah! Oh, man. Like just... I would watch, I, and this is not my pitch, so it's, I think it's okay to say I would watch a whole movie just about that couple. Yeah. Yeah, although, the, boy, after two movies of watching them get away with this shit, I wanted them to get some comeuppance. And they, and they, sure. Um, I, you know, I suppose I was glad to see Guy get some comeuppance, but, well, I don't know. My problems, I, I just, I, I stopped caring so quick because right from the get-go, Rosemary was not Rosemary. She mm. was stupid and ready to kill her kid at the drop of the hat, I guess it seemed. Mm -hmm. And then before she goes to hell or whatever, she hands the kid to a stranger and gets on the bus and doesn't turn back to check it out until the, the doors close behind her. That like, in terms of where she was and how careful she was and how obsessed with her child she was, none of that made any sense. None of her choices made any sense, mm -hmm. including calling guy, especially calling guy. I felt that I, I don't know. I mean, later in the movie, the the devil's son like paints himself like a mime and is passed around like a rock concert, and that was supposed to like be the judgment of how evil he was. And I guess he wasn't evil enough. So it's. I mean, I understand your point, but it's just by the time I got to the end of the movie, the bus thing was like the least, the last thing on my mind. Sure, I'm not saying it's the worst thing. I'm just saying that I stopped caring real quick. Because I was like, oh, this isn't, this is just wrong. Yeah, it, it was, it's, it, it became apparent almost immediately to both of us that this wasn't going to be like a fun 70s TV movie rewatch. It wasn't going to be like so, so bad it's cheesy and fun or like actually pretty good because, you know, not everything from the past is bad. Maybe it was a really good one or maybe it's actually scary. Like, uh, but it was just immediately just like, oh, blah. Yeah. yeah, this is going to be dull and awful. Yeah, the the only <laughs> moment 
<laughs> that was like bad enough that I really enjoyed it was so brief. It was early on. It was she makes the phone call in the phone booth. Rosemary makes the phone call, and then Andy slash Adrian is taken away by the group of kids, and then he does something to them, and yeah. then she grabs him and runs away. And then it cuts to a wide shot of her now running with him alongside another woman. And the only explanation of dialogue is a clearly 80-yard line of the woman going, Can't come to my trailer. Like oh. <laughs> and then that's like that like launches the whole plot, it turns out, because that woman takes the kid and stuff, but it's like Oh, she's yeah. the the madam. I'm so glad that was uh just as confusing. I was like, where the hell did this lady come we... from? It was also confusing to me whether or not he did kill those kids because yeah, I, he, I was my understanding he killed those kids because the, the quality of the film was so bad like i couldn't quite tell so i'm like is she lying yeah well we okay just so the viewers know or sorry listeners know we watched this on youtube because it's free check it out if you're interested uh, but yes i would say in that scene what happens immediately after the uh, interaction with the kids is that there's like a bunch of people shuffling or shuffling around it seems like there's cops yeah, um, yeah. And then the cops go, okay, everything's okay. There's nothing to see here, which I think is supposed to imply that nothing happened. But then she goes back in after talking to the Satan worshippers and tells her she killed her. I think that was a lie. I think, I think was. it was a lie. But it was hard oh, to tell from I just, the quality of the film. I just assume that in the 70s when the cops said, all right, there's nothing to see here, they just meant like, they're already dead. You can't look at their dead bodies. Go away. There's nothing cool to watch. Stop picking the like Right. <laughs> I would like to just say, I know I'm beating up on this movie a lot, but it's not because I really, I do really like um, old, cheesy, tacky movies and stuff. And genuinely, I'm just beating up this one specifically. Well, I think all would be in agreement, to be honest. It's not good. And that rock concert scene that you referred to earlier, probably supposed to be the ultimate satanic moment in the movie. Uh, yeah. It's really just a cool looking rock concert. And like, that's what I mean. Also, what I wondered in that scene was, A, why does this band just allow a person to walk onto the stage and, and dance, you know, among them? But then they allow his friend to come on the stage and unplug their equipment <laughs> <laughs> and like talk to him so it's like oh well this band is i guess doped out of their minds or something they're just not noticing right. anything that's what yeah. i meant when i said like the 70s just everything that happened in the 70s just happens to this guy like i feel <laughs> like everything i saw was just like what was popular in the 70s like the satanism was even more so rock concerts like just wandering around the desert spirit journeys that kind of thing it's just a 70s celebration with this reluctant devil like the reluctant devil is such a 70s boomer idea <laughs> also big fat gripe that i have that i would probably assume most sequels most sequels to this movie would do what look what's happened did in making andy slash adrian look human what i would do is pick up where the movie left off and say that he's got devil eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want this person to have devil eyes. At least. That sounded, that sounded to me like the beginnings of a pitch. It, well, it's in there, but okay. Alright, we can stop. Um, we, 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 okay, we're on the precipice rolling into the pitches. The last thing I want to say uh, about the low quality of our YouTube watch was that 
this movie had so many talismans of sorts, like objects that people would grab and look at and hold. And like, you know, that was how we knew they were important. Mm -hmm. Um, And every single time someone had one, I couldn't see what it looked like. (laughs) (laughs) The 70s were just happening all over. It was like in the Manitou. Remember when we watched Manitou? Manitou. The Manitou. Uh, Just this like 70s horror movie that has like a lot of spacey, trippy, crystal-y stuff in it. For no reason beyond it was like that. What was po- that's what was popular at the time. And Tony Curtis. <laughs> and Tony. Mm. Popular always. I hope. Always and forever. Yeah. Um, okay. So b- before I get into our, you know, the big questions, I did want to quickly mention there are a couple of other sequels to consider that do exist. The oh. first is the official sequel by the author of Rosemary's Baby, Ira Levin called Son of Rosemary, which was released in 1997, 31 years after the original. Wow. This was very much like a Mario Puzo Godfather's Revenge or whatever that was called, like forever after the fact sequel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The plot of that is as follows. When Rosemary attempts to escape with Andrew, the coven puts a curse on her that puts her into a coma. Roman and Minnie raise him. Rosemary wakes up from a 27-year coma after the last of the coven has died and finds Andrew to be the leader of a worldwide charitable organization. He claims to have rejected the teachings of his surrogate parents, but Rosemary comes to suspect that he might be an unwitting antichrist who will still end the world. Turns out she's right. After putting on some sort of candlelighting ceremony, Andrew unleashes a deadly virus that kills all of humankind. The gates of hell open, and Satan comes to Earth, sending Rosemary to hell. Then, Rosemary wakes up in 1965, still married to Guy. They receive a call from their friend Hutch, offering them a spot in an apartment building that they lived in before the Bramford, so it was all a dream, it turns out. Um, Okay. Bold. Yeah. Oh, bold. Yeah. I mean, himself like, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, and then it, there's a little bit of a Hutch mentions some things. There's, okay, so you know how the, the first movie has an anagram? The, mm-hmm. So the second book also, well, same in the book, and the second book also has an anagram, anagram called that is Roast Mules that is never explained. Mm-hmm. And Hutch mentions roast mules and something about candle lighting in his phone call. And then this leads Rosemary to believe that she's had a premonition of things to come. So it's sort of like doing a dark tower where it like resets the situation. But this time the character has knowledge going into it. Uh, Spoilers for dark tower. What is roast mules an anagram for? Apparently the author has never explained it, but some guess that it means soul master that sounds like a cool board game like one of those vcr board games like atmosphere yeah yeah. there's some speculation that you know maybe her waking up from the dream is her waking up in hell my first thought yeah like trapped in the cycle of this the horror that will be her life i've actually gotten it into my head before that uh what if we are in hell and one of the things hell does, since you're there for eternity anyways, they'll just let you live a normal life for, say, 36 years. And then they'll just 
flip the switch and go, just kidding, it was hell the whole time. Remember, it's one of the games we play. Um, so I sort of, I'm always vaguely on the lookout for that. Yeah, that's a good hell gag. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Beyond that, there is another sequel. And this is an interesting one. This is an unofficial sequel, but it is a short from a horror anthology film that was released in 2017 called Double oh. X, XX, I think it's called. Yeah. The short is called Her Only Living Son, and it's written and directed by Karen Kusama, who, uh, writer-director of Aeon Flux, Jennifer's Body, and the Nicole Kidman uh, thriller that came out this year, Destroyer. So she's pretty highly respected. But the premise of that is as follows. Uh, it tells the story of Rosemary's name in this is Cora, but the, her son is still named Andy. So it tells the story of Cora, whose son Andy is becoming more violent at school. He tears out a classmate's fingernails, but he, but he's not getting into trouble because he seems what? to be like casting a spell on his superiors. And so, you know, to the horror of Cora, Andy more and more embraces his father's power, turning more into more and more of a demonic beast. Satan comes to collect him, but at the last minute, uh, Cora hugs him and says that she'll never let Satan take her son. Moved by this, Andy chooses her over his father, and then Satan kills them both. Hmm. Um, Aww. Of the ones that exist, I think that's the best. That does sound interesting. I mean... Is that the movie that had, like, the person pass out on the lawn with the solo cup? That, I think, is Project X. It sure <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, uh, it's like a first-person camera POV party movie. That I was, uh, and uh, not to brag, I was up for the lead in that movie, and I got to the final round of callbacks. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I haven't seen it. Who's the Who's the lead? It's a guy who looks a lot like me. His name's Thomas Mann, and he's gone on to have a fabulous career. Thomas Mann. Um, he's in Beautiful Creatures. You've seen him in something, I'm sure. He doesn't look that much like me. He looks. He's my type. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I can see how that's a Paul type. It, well, you could have. Kong Skull Island, man. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. But you know, I really, I know where I lost it. I lost it in the um, chemistry, like seduction scene. You know, they had us do round after round of scenes, and it was the scene where it was like supposed to be the girl coming to like seduce me, but it was a, it was a, you know, casting guy reading the lines, and uh, I just, I remember feeling the iciness of the reaction. Feeling it, you know, I tried. Way. I tried, yeah. but that's where it slipped away, you know. That's when really you cool, it. though. Yeah, yeah mm. not bad. Anyway, um, but I would say that, yeah, that short sounds like the best sequel that exists, be only because I feel like it actually, like, picks up on what seemed to be the very important point at the end of Rosemary's Baby, which was that his mother's influence would have an effect. You know, I feel like that mm. is the interesting thing, to oh. see whether she could save his soul or not yeah but let's get into these pitches with the first question should this movie have a sequel god no no yes i agree no moving on no <laughs> I, <laughs> no i mean i guess i would i guess i would just say that uh while there 
is more story that could be told. I mean, this is just the beginning of the Antichrist. There is something to come back for. I don't think that that's the point of the story. Right. right. Yeah. I, I think with any story, it's possible to think of more story, even maybe really interesting story or amazing story. But I think that's a different question than should this one have a sequel? Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And Which I agree. I no. Well, then let's rush through this next question. Mm. It's uh, sequel or prequel? I mean, we both did sequels. I initially, yeah. I initially wrote down a prequel idea because I thought like you should not do a sequel to this. But then when she told me her sequel idea, I stole half of it and um, uh, I don't like say made it. Yeah, yeah. I took yeah, that- I took the good half of hers and I said, well, I'll. She started saying it wrong, so I said, well, I'll fix that. Now I have a better sequel pitch. Mm-hmm. Nice. Ooh, which nice. would not be possible classy. without you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that was classy. Um, that part. Um, well, okay. So then, what's what? What if you have it handy? What was your vague prequel concept? My vague prequel concept was. Hmm. Um, you really roused my appetite. Mini and Roman. Uh, I just wanted to do a, a, a prequel. Like, let's see how this coven came to be. He said he was on the move from like the 1910s up through the 60s. I kind of just wanted to just, I was starting to percolate like a roadshow movie where we would see these colorful, interesting, benign, but evil characters throughout, you know, American history uh, coming coming together, culminating with like in a sort of red dragon-y way, culminating like with the last scene being like, the scene just before the first scene in Rosemary's Baby. Oh, nice. So, like, you get to see how they kill the neighbor, the laundry room girl. It was something like that. Or, like, the first scene would be, you know, oh, we've got a new couple coming to look at the apartment tomorrow or something. something Okay, got it. Like uh, the way the thing prequel ends, where it's like, right up to the first one. There you go. Yeah. No, I didn't see that. I saw Red Dragon, which is the, you know, the last scene in that movie. Yeah. Oh, what's her name? Chilton. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. Perfect character impression. Yeah. What's her name? Oh, hang, hang, hang on, let me try. Let me try again. Hold on. What's her name? That's good. Yeah, that's very good. I think he says it. That what is her name? What's her name? Oh, don't yeah. put that in. That was awful. <laughs> Who was that? What is her name? What is her name? Do you have a title for that, by the way? With all of them witches or whatever the whatever Ooh, the book. Yeah. Feels. A quick aside for another thing that bothered me in the sequel, to go so far as to get the same woman to play Minnie and then cast a guy as Roman who's bald when Roman has a full head of white hair in the first one. So, you know, he's old. So it's not that he lost it in that time. Like, I don't understand why they didn't cast one with white hair. I guess that's my big thing. I thought that guy was Was fine. I thought that guy wasn't supposed to be like later, like 10 years years later later or something. But I guess my assumption was, even in the first one, that the fact that they're old and they're Satan worshippers, my guess is that they're extending their life unnaturally through spells and stuff like that. And it's really the only thing that makes sense in terms of them making it to Andy's adult years. Oh, do you not? Do you not agree with that? I would be surprised oh, if you don't no, agree with that. I have no. I have. I don't have an actual opinion. Anyways, wish they wouldn't have cast the bald guy. That being said, his <laughs> performance was fine. So my very vague sequel. A prequel idea is I was tempted to write the management that you were drug addicts and litter bugs. Just a very happy story about 
chronicling Hutch and Rosemary's friendship. You show how they met, you watch them build this bond. Hutch meets a, a, a nice French woman at some point, and they never meet, I guess. And then, you know, toward the end, Rosemary meets Guy, and Hutch doesn't like him. You know, it feels a little bit of an off feeling about him. It's just, you get, you get, it's the only way you get any sort of lightness out of this world. And the movie is called Hutch's Clutch, because that guy, I don't know, he just brought me so much joy every time I saw him in this movie. I really, I want Hutch, that's the what I really like about that pitch is something uh, we don't do too much is we do as a sequel in a different genre. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really neat. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm pretty basic as a, as an opinion haver. So I was picturing like a very like Ghibli-esque kind of movie, just like a lot of warm tones, mm-hmm. conflict, of course, but not a lot of it, just sort of two people yeah. finding each other, finding in friendship. There's so much warmth in those scenes yeah. between them that I really, that's that's just what I sort of wanted to spend a little more time with. I liked the unsettling stuff, or how it was done at least, in, in Rosemary's Baby, but having seen that and knowing that it can't really get much brighter after she's mm-hmm. given birth to the Antichrist, let's go back and, <laughs> and enjoy ourselves. All right, so who wants to go first in terms I'll of- first, I'll go first, I'll go first. I have this you, one. You have two, right? I have one and a half. Well, for a minute there, I think I was going to make it. Picture this. This is the opening scene of my movie. It's going to take place immediately, like Halloween style. Immediately. She's rocking baby. Mm. La, 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 rocking baby, right? Mm. She grabs baby, rushes to the window, Mm. jumps out. Ooh, I love it. I love it. Okay. We look look down. Okay, she's cradling it like, like Ripley in Alien 3 with the queen. Uh, we're looking at baby and the eyes, you know, the devil eyes, and we're looking at mom, and then we're looking at baby, and it's smiling, mm-hmm. which is scary, and it has, like, devil teeth, okay? And then we see mom, and she looks scared. Then we see, and she holds baby tighter with her arms, and we see baby hold her tighter with his baby arms, and then we see baby's wings, devil wings. They turn over in air. He's grabbing her now. Oof. They fly off towards the sun. Yes. Boom. Title card. Rosemary, baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're gonna have real to earn, I was gonna say you're gonna have to earn that title. Um, I do have an actual one one just real actual pitch. That's just a joke thing I thought of as soon as I saw that ending. Okay, cool. So I'll follow that up with my modern pitch because yeah. it is much shorter. Uh, this house has a high incident on pleasant happenings. It would still have Mia Farrow as Rosemary, but Rosemary hangs on to life from her deathbed, while a grown Andy, who has refrained from fulfilling his role as Antichrist so that his mother could happily finish out her days on Earth before he destroys it, uh, prepares to take up his mantle as the Antichrist. Uh, So it's really just more of a dark, twisted character study that deeply explores the notion of a mother's influence as well as sort of like nature versus nurture in general. And it's more just like spending your time with Andy in these final days of his mother's life and sort of seeing where he's at when she's actually gone. Like he's always planned on sort of fulfilling his destiny when she's gone, but will he? And that's sort of the Mm. question. And the, the title of that is Rosemary's Legacy. 
Ooh. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's neato. Really, you really sank it with that title. Yeah. That's tough. I kind of want to go first Lauren? since you've like piggybacked off of my okay, idea. Okay, yeah, that's fair. All right, cool. I wrote a lot, so sorry if this is long-winded. I'll try to... Oh, God. Yeah, maybe don't read from the page. I, I won't, I won't. Oh, I'm just, okay. It's just like notes. Okay. I think it's the best idea I've had in months. So we open mm. on a like, number of black cars snaking up a mountain like road to a really beautiful big like uh, stone building. There's uh, nuns working outside and walking about. It's a convent. Mm, nice. Okay. So uh, six, six or seven people come out of the cars. They go up. Ooh, I'm nervous because I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> they enter the convent and are um, greeted by nun number one. She walks up and asks how, you know, they can, she can help them. They said they're looking for Rosemary Woodhouse. The nun looks kind of confused, but walks away for a moment and converses with two other nuns. They all walk back over and nun number two smiles and asks the visitors to follow them. They like, they like walk through the convent. They're taken to a room. Nun number three shuts the door behind them and they're all inside. The visitors look around kind of confused because there's no one with them in there. They ask where Rosemary is. One, like the main visitor, walks forward to find that there's an invisible force holding him back. And he's like confused. Uh, and he's like, ah, what's happening? And nun number two takes the torch off the wall and lights a hidden powder that's in between the cracks of the stones on the floor. And it creates a design revealing a sort of trap around the visitors with like symbols and stuff. Nice. Uh, main visitor guy is upset. He's like, where's Rosemary? Like, you'll feel the wrath of Satan if you don't bring, bring her to us. Nun number three, who shut the door, steps forward and said, I felt it. And it's Rosemary. Oh, nice. As a nun. Then cut to the title. Rosemary. Ooh, just Rosemary. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, 30 years ago, basically, Rosemary only agreed to look after her child to gain the, the cult's trust mm -hmm. and to get close enough to kill the child. Ooh. Because it's just too much pain and everything. She's like, this child is evil. I will not be responsible for this. So she kills the child, manages to escape, and is then on the run for the rest of her life. Sure. Sarah Connor, Connor style. She doesn't trust anyone. She's only interested in being her own woman. Like, her husband was an asshole. She was kicked around. She trusted people who shouldn't have been trusted. So she's just like, I'm a badass. Uh, I trust no one. I'm just going to survive. So we see like vignettes of her, like evading the cult for a number of years and like learning each time how to, you know, be better mm -hmm. at like evading them. One time they managed to capture her. It's all younger cult members because the older ones have died. They capture her and tell her they want another child. She tells them that she has since been to a doctor, was informed that her womb was ravaged by the devil child, and she cannot have children anymore. Fringe benefit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the cult members say that they only need her blood because they have tried a number of surrogates over the years, but both mother and child died because there was, they weren't strong enough, and there's something about Rosemary's blood that they need. Ooh. She manages to escape this time, I don't know how, and decides to, that she needs to find a better way to hide out, so she goes to a convent in Europe somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. So that's like the whole movie I know I was rushed through. Um, but that brings us back to this is, takes place in the 90s, like 30 years later. So mm-hmm. Rosemary's like 55, 60. So she faces the new members of the cult. They have like some sort of dialogue. Um, her and then other nuns kill the cult because Rosemary has confided in all of them and they've been preparing for this all these years. Oh, you know, they've awesome. agreed. Her convent yeah. versus cult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kill them. A single dying cult member laughs and Rosemary walks over. The cult guy's like, there's more of us. We will never stop until we get what we need from you. And Rosemary just like looks at him. She's like, I've been preparing for that my whole life. Bring it on. Then the cool pose with her nun buddies. That's the end. Wow. Combat. Oh, combat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. <laughs> what I like most about it is it sort of like picks up on the f- vibe of the first one in that we are spending time with Rosemary surviving. And that is what the first one is completely. Like we're almost never away from her, you know, and that's sort of part of what sells it so well to me. So that is, baby or not, that is what I want to continue to see in a second one. So I really like that. That's what I really liked about Lauren's pitch too. I really, really liked her, like Sarah Connor surviving, like out, out foxing the coven, while the coven's trying to outfox her stories seems so cool. So, so I'm basically, I'm saying I'm a hero for stealing this part of your pitch because I'm making your story better. Oh, it's hot, hot in here. <laughs> um, okay. Madame and Monsieur shall have the dessert after all. Mousse au chocolat. This is just, I'm going to walk you through essentially just the trailer. So it's um, convent, dark, stormy night. We hear bang, bang, bang on the steel doors because uh, the only convent I've ever seen in a movie was in The Sound of Music. So that's just <laughs> what I think they look like. Mm-hmm. Um, a nun rushing through the dark hallway, um, passing other stone rooms. We get to a nun who is like praying. Like she's clearly like, however you indicate, head nun. The nunnery hierarchy. She's the Maggie Smith of these nuns. Mm-hmm. Mother Superior, they call that. Thank you. Yeah. That's it, Mother Superior. Mm-hmm. So she's, uh, just like with Lauren's pitch, basically, like, there are people outside. Um, they're essentially, they're asking for Rosemary. We're not meant to know that this nun is Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to pretend that we don't know that now. We all heard Lauren's pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes with this nun, the mother, mother superior, to these, you know, very garishly dressed individuals outside. We don't get a good look at them, but they're clearly, they're meant to be the next generation of this coven. They were brought up by the people we saw. So they're as ostentatiously as they were dressed. They're a little unusual. And the, the coven people are grinning and the, the nuns are all very grim-faced. Mm-hmm. So she comes out and they're like, Rosemary or Miss Woodhouse or whatever, we found you. They've been looking for her all this time. They had just wanted to see that it was Rosemary before they invaded. They saw her, so they go in. Oh, they can't. There's a force field of some kind of thing. Um, the coven's eyes uh, get dark or whatever, or glow. We do, we do some, like in, the se- like in the sequel we saw, their eyes get a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosemary seems to smirk without smirking. This is not a woman who smirks. Uh, she has the upper hand. Um, as in Lauren's pitch, as indicated, the nuns are all on board. If anyone is going to believe Rosemary's story, it's this convent. So they've been practicing. They're ready for her with their, you know, uh, knowledge of ancient religions. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got the upper hand. But when we go back to the, the coven people, he doesn't look like he doesn't have the upper hand anymore. He looks like he still has it. 
Um, and he just says something like, you weren't expecting all of us. And as the camera sweeps back, we see there are coven people surrounding the, um, the convent. Um, everyone, so we, what we essentially have is like an assault on precinct 13 for the whole movie with oh. So then we get like the title card, which um, right now I have written down Adrian's Revenge. Um, I did like, someone, someone said Rosemary's Blood. I like that a lot. Nobody said so, that. Take it. Okay, Rosemary's <laughs> Blood. Yeah, it's um, part of my plot. Right, so I was like, so it's called Rosemary's Blood. I don't care why, it's just cool. And you see the, co the coven people on the outside and you hear that knocking on the steel door again. Boom, boom, boom. But this time we're inside. We're not looking at the front door. There's a door deep inside, one of those steel prison doors with just the like eye hole part cut out. Mm -hmm. um, and each bang takes us closer and closer. And inside we see chained up um, a blonde boy with the devil's eyes, Adrian, and he's screaming like a madman, mother! How old? Just uh, 52. <laughs> so he's not a boy, he's a full grown this, this, the idea being that, like, when Adrian fled at some point in the yeah. past, she took the child with her to the covenant, to right. the convent, yeah. <laughs> has, him, has had him chained up as prisoner. There's a there's a, maybe a philosophical conversation to be had at some point inside with, like, you had the son of the devil and you chained him up in a hole in a wall? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. not going to make him less evil. You know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like that a lot of that movie would be going into the backstory, the filling in of the gaps while they await the assault. You, yeah, you would yeah. structure it somehow so that, like, each, as the coven penetrates deeper into the convent, using um, Adrian as a central point, that you would be breaking in deeper and deeper into um, Rosemary's backstory and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the while seeing, like, these old nun ladies kick ass against these uh, coven people, um, really towing the line between, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and <laughs> Rosemary's Baby was. Well, yeah. Cool. Down. I, yep. All right, so then final pitch. Very excited. Okay, so this is more of a direct sequel. Or this is a direct sequel. Have some more wine. Quick gripe with this, with look who, what's happened to Rosemary's Baby. When it began... It began with Rosemary wanting to leave and take the kid right away. It was mm -hmm. as if it was picking up the next day, but the kid was like eight. Yeah. You know, it was six to eight. So it's like, I don't see how that would have worked, that they would be there that long. And it would just sort of be like, a, you know, passing like, oh, we should go. Right. That's why, <laughs> I, that's why I felt like a sequel either had to be okay, immediately next, or it needs to be, like, decades later. Because any middle ground, I, it would feel weird that you would, like, yeah, you know, like, go along with it for almost a decade, and then suddenly into the night. So I tried to walk that line with this, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays. Okay, okay. Six, six years later, so Andy is six. Rosemary and Andy have settled into a sense of, you know, twisted normalcy living at the center of the Bramford cult. Separately from this, so a subplot, Guy Woodhouse lives his own life away from all of it. Uh, he's at the height of his fame and his career. He's a huge success in the acting world. But it's all turned to, like, ash in his soul. Nothing makes him happy. He's uh, angry, even getting violent all the time. He's severely haunted by the 
dark acts that brought him to where he was. And again, loved the scene at the end of Rosemary's Baby where she spits on him. Because you can tell that he, as big of a piece of shit as he is, you can tell he has some semblance of guilt and conscience at the end. And of course it's not enough. It's like, fuck that guy. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I, I, like, I like to see him suffering. Uh, okay, so back to the cult. We see the inherent darkness and evil in Andy through acts of like raw power and, uh, you know, violent tendencies. But we also see that there's a calming and softening effect that Rosemary has on him. And it's clear that he loves his mother above any of the cult. He, they, they have a great deep bond. Uh, the cult members, however, are growing impatient of Andy reaching his full potential as he fails to perform the rituals expected of him on his unholiest birthday, the 6th. They all agree that Rosemary is the problem and she's holding him back, so they plot to put an end to her. But Wily Rosemary catches on to their plan and hatches an escape plan of her own, stealing away with Andy in the night. I'm thinking almost the whole first act is like a cat and mouse under the surface game of her figuring out how to get out of there. Like, and like misery or get out? Yeah, I suppose. But that's just the first act is like right, her, right. her smartly figuring a way out of there while they are simultaneously trying to kill her, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the movie, though, after that, is Rosemary protecting Andy while on the run as fugitives, you know, from the cult, not knowing who to trust. Because, again, like in the shitty sequel that we got, their uh, reach is pretty powerful. So she's like, but she's smart and she knows that. So she's constantly on edge trying to keep them safe and trying to keep Andy's sort of secret nature a secret because he looks weird and weird things happen around him. So it's like she keeps him a little bit disguised. She's just trying to protect the two of them while they figure out how they can fully get away. Um, just for clarification, how devilly is it literally just his eyeballs? Like he just has like sunglasses on or is it like this part of like how different does he look? I mean, the eyes are definitely there. It's like if you were to take off sunglasses, you would see inhuman eyes. Right. You okay. Know. Um, but Outside of that, I kind of want to add a detail or two. I just don't know. I, I feel like I would leave this to the professionals because I don't know how, what would look coolest. You know, like a tail. Well, the tail seems a little silly. More yeah. what I'm asking is how, how much can he pass? Um, I mean, it's sort of like E.T. putting E.T. in a hoodie, although E.T.'s crazy. Like E.T. looks yeah, crazy. Man. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, oh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, like, I think he, he. I think he can mostly pass. I think it's right. just like if anybody gets too close, tries to coochie coochie coo him, you know that that could be trouble. Gotcha. In any case, the members of the cult pursue them. Andy ends up killing the first of them that they encounter. Um, an act that Rosemary discourages, preaching the idea of like peace and forgiveness to her son, just sort of trying to set a good example, even though they're trying to get away from these people. Guy returns to the Bramford looking for Rosemary. He finds Roman and Minnie, who inform him of the active situation, and he murders them because he's fully flipped at this point. 
Uh, Guy goes after Rosemary and Andy with the goal of protecting them. You know, maybe kills a few more of the cult members on the way to finding them. In the end, he does find them, but seeing him again causes Rosemary to snap and she kills him right in front of her son. This action appears to have a severe emotional effect on Andy. She sees this and apologizes for, like, failing him as a mother. She's ultimately put away for Guy's murder and also turns herself in for the murders that Andy committed to protect him. And then the movie ends with Andy being taken to his new home by adopted parents. And during that car ride, we sort of have two major questions lingering. One, what kind of people are these that adopted him? And two, what kind of man will he be? Uh, So still an ambiguous ending, but more related to the mother's influence and, and, and how that factors in. The title I have for this is Rosemary's Baby, Damn It. (laughs) It's Rosemary's Baby, Damn It. Nobody puts Rosemary's Baby in a corner. Right. Okay. Um, That's, that's, is that not, um, and I haven't seen all of it. Is that not Omen-esque? You know, I haven't seen the Omen at all. Okay. I I mean, how the Omen ends. Yeah, it, but is, it's the, it is a little ominous. But it's the president, right? Yeah. Right. Or like a sen- senator or something. At least oh. the modern 2006 one. Oh, like he gets new parents and you don't yeah. know what happened? Okay. Uh, but um, that's not a disparagement on your pitch because I think that's very compelling. Well, uh, this would have been made in 68. You know, we're time traveling with these pitches, uh, definitely. Yes, and I kind of, I was looking forward to a little bit of what I assume the omen is, which is probably mostly a lot of examples of the demon child being demony, you know, like killing uh, things uh, and dark things, dark... I've only seen the 2006 one. I worked at a movie yeah. theater. I mean, Pharaoh's in it. So I, I've oh, seen really? of that mm-hmm. movie. Oh, she is? Yeah, I, I believe know. so. I've seen bits of that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm like showing my ignorance so caretaker. hard right now. Uh, well, but yes, I mean, in any case, I, I guess I, what I assumed the omen was is what we would have to see at least somewhat in a sequel to Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. I, I feel like we're, I feel like um, if any, anyone listening to this must be screaming into their, was the omen designed well, initially as like a Rosemary's Baby what if sequel? Because Cause the omen what came out in 70. 76, so same year as Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby. Um, that was a hot year for demon children. I mean, it's not based on a, on a book or anything. I mean, I do know that the success of Rosemary's Baby sparked a wave of this genre of film. Right. Um, the 70s were just filthy with demons and monsters and... Well, in um, any case... The part of your pitch that was has to do with, like, the mother's influence. I feel like that I mean, is the lingering question at the end of Rosemary's Baby. Is it's like, yes, yes, it's dark that she's succumbing to the cult and caring for her child despite the fact that he's unholy, but that doesn't that is not the end of the story in my opinion. There is a yeah. what I like about that ending is it's ambiguous. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, okay. So then we've got a lot of pitches on hand here, but let's all go in with one and then we'll yeah. vote. We'll vote our winner. I guess I'm, I'm going in, I'm going in with Rosemary's baby. Damn it. 
Good. I don't know. I'm going to go with Rosemary's Blood. Rosemary. Rosemary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Paul, what say you? Well, we're, we're voting one by one. So let's start mm-hmm. with, of those three, what was pitched first, which was Rosemary. And I'm going to give that one a big fat vote. Oh, I see. We're, we're voting by pitch, not by person. I see. Hang on. Rosemary yeah. was... Was Lauren. Right. I know. I'm trying to remember yeah. the specific pitch. I'm, I'm looking well, at my own... You stole half of it. You should know I it. Know, I know. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I'll vote. I'll, I'll vote. I'll vote for Lauren's too. Can Lauren, I vote you for vote? mine? Yeah, oh, sure. Okay, so that's a three. That's a three-er. Rosemary's blood. Let's see what we got. Two, okay, I that's will. two for Travis and Lauren. I'm not voting not for that one. And this is sort of like teaching you, Travis, a passive-aggressive lesson from Ooh. our Ghostbusters episode. I was so enamored of your "It's Rosemary Baby" opening that you. <laughs> Failed to top that. Ah, so ah that's think, true. Mm-hmm. I came in too hard. That should have been dessert. Um, and then last is uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Damn it, which was mine. Uh, I'm. I really liked it. I'm the only reason I'm not going to vote is just because I. I'm unfortunately I've already seen that in the Good Omens and in the Omen. Ooh. Great. So then that's got two votes from Lauren and I, which means the winner of this week's follow-up showdown is Lauren with Rosemary. Well, Daddy, do I get a gold star? You get two of them. This is Lauren's first win. Awesome. I'm very, very excited. Ever. (laughs) Probably not in life. I mean, you you would hope not. Six to eight (laughs) pages in her little journal. Well, it was... Two pages, but I was excited about it. One of the things that I thought wasn't going to gel with me once you started was the idea of losing the baby right away. But it, I feel, was the one that most picked up on the essence of the original. And what I would say with any of the rest of them, including ones that maybe follow the plot more logically, is that as soon as you get out of that situation where the first one ends, it gets more fantastical exactly because the movie's not it's about rosemary it's not about like the baby demon cult satan the his the future of the right. world or whatever that's incidental to how how it how rosemary goes through it mm. yes and again as we all said why it shouldn't have a sequel at all um right. in any case i'm very happy with our results we did the best that anyone could for a difficult to impossible task and we yeah. certainly did better than Sam O'Steen. God love hey, him, I he, hope he did. He turned in a movie. It's a film that exists. He got some good performances, some really good performances. I'm going to give it to him. Okay, that's nice of you. Um, I'm just going to not and move into wrapping up. So any plugs for you oh. for you two? No. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'll be, as ever, Theater of Tomorrow and the hotel uh, at theateroftomorrow.com, theater with an R-E, uh, we haven't produced any new episodes in a while, and quarantine has slowed that process down even more. So those episodes are still there. Golden Odies. Uh, golden Odies. Golden Odies. Goody Odies. <laughs> but there's nothing nothing new for you to experience Travis-wise right now. Right. Let's look at that as um, uh, something comforting to look back at in these, these uncertain times. It's true. That's and, very... Um... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. ahead. I was going to plug my Etsy shop. Wow. Right. Damn right. Pop 
Pop that Funko. Mm. I sold my first Funko off of there. I'm very excited. Boom. So, right. What was what was it? If you don't It was an Angela Martin from the office Funko. Oh cool. The symbol yeah, Funko snake, actually, so you know, that's nice. <laughs> You'll take on any Funko challenge pretty much, is the Yes. Awesome. Well that is Can you make that is... Funko of weather? Oof. For a bucket of water on your head. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I see quarantines doing wonders for you guys. You know, Actually, all... I could. <laughs> okay. Of course you could. <laughs> you, of, course. of course. Of weather, yeah. I got oh, an idea. I thought, I thought you meant dump a bucket of <laughs> no, water no, no, on my no. head. I was like, of course you could. <laughs> no need to double down on the threat. On the next follow-up showdown. Our first returning guests, Steve Clemens and Katie Hoyt. The subject, 2019's Dr. Sleep. I love The Shining so much. I would almost always argue, yes, sequel, but this, I feel like it's such a perfect piece. It's hard to be scared of the bad guys when they're shopping at the grocery store like normal people. (laughs) 